0: Hey, everybody, just wanted to let you know that if you're interested in Wild West Exodus after listening to this podcast, good news, we're selling it on our website. Check it out, thefifthtrooper.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Fifth Trooper Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fifth Trooper Podcast. My name is Jay Shalansky, and my co-host is Evan Bulris. Hey, how's it going? On today's cast, we have Chris Pond joining us from War Cradle Studios. They are the studio that does Wild West Exodus. How's it going, Chris?
1: Very good, thank you. It's lovely and warm over here today.
0: Same here. Yeah, so we're <laughs> in uh, we're in northern New York, so upstate New York, and uh, the weather has just been phenomenal. So yeah, it's... actually, pretty good. We're we're finally past winter, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh,
0: so Chris, what do you, why don't we uh, first start, I guess, uh, letting our audience know what, uh, what you do over at uh, War Cradle.
1: So I'm the assistant studio manager over here, which essentially means I kind of run the studio on a day-to-day basis. But I also um, am heavily involved in the game development, um, getting involved in events, um, running demos, these kind of interviews talking to people about the game promoting it and getting people playing it awesome
0: well that sounds like a fun job yeah it does actually (laughs) (laughs) um so okay so why don't we since we have you here and you are you know you're deeply entrenched why don't we have you explain um just a brief explanation of what wild west exodus is for us
1: Well, Wild West Exodus is a uh, a steampunk, alternative history, skirmish war game. It's set in 1870-something in and around the Old West, Um, and we have a, you know, we've got Lawman, we've got Wild Wild Earp, uh, Doc Holliday, we've got outlaws such as Jesse James and Billy the Kid, we've got Gustav Eiffel. We've got um, we've got General Grant, um, maybe a slightly different General Grant, but you <laughs> know we've got all these characters. We've got Abraham Lincoln in there. Um, we we've got you know stuff that um, that really tweaks at the, the the historical um, kind of uh, Wild West uh, steampunk feel. But we've also got robots and aliens and werewolves and um, you well, you name it. There's something for everybody in here. We've got eight factions, and it really covers, you know, as many tropes as we <laughs> as we can fit in to this type of game, so that there is, like I said, something for everybody.
0: So, uh, let me ask. This is an interesting question. I, I was thinking about this. So, you guys are UK based. That's right. So, so, how steeped, like our our culture over here in the US, like the Wild West, is? I mean you can't can't really like walk two feet without tripping over something wild west right and like and like a
2: restaurant or something
0: (laughs) yeah yeah like understanding and it's kind of just steeped in our culture so for for you guys over there how um, like how into the wild west are people and 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 and, you know how how much do they know about it in general
1: well a lot I mean it's it's fairly universal cultural thing over here we all grew up watching spaghetti westerns and uh you know the Clint Eastwood and um John Wayne all those types of old movies that um that that are always shown on a Sunday afternoon especially when I was growing up as a kid so um you know we all of us here at the studio um you know are big fans and mm-hmm. it's a uh, and in some ways actually it's a bit more exotic for us because mm-hmm. it's not you know we don't trip over it at home it's so it's a little bit more removed for us and it's right. a little more fantastical because it's it's gotten very little to do with our day-to-day environment which i think is why you know those types of films um and that type of of genre is particularly enticing to people uh, who who aren't you know immersed in it um, but actually, we, um, we purchased the game from a company that, that was US-based, actually, in Arizona, just outside of Phoenix. Oh, okay. And we, uh, we had a strong relationship with, uh, with Outlaw Miniatures at the time, mm. and uh, they expressed to us that they were interested in possibly selling up uh, and doing some other things. And we expressed an interest in getting into, um, you know, a game and producing our own game and and, uh, and and reinjecting some some new life into Wild West Exodus and bringing a second edition to it. And the rest is history. Uh, so, uh, nearly four years ago now, we um, we picked up the game and um, we've been running with it ever since.
0: Yeah, and you know, so I kind of brought that up because in my mind. I almost feel like, even though we're steeped in the culture over here, right? Like it's our it's our history over here. I, based on what you said, is exactly why. Like I, I really think having l- like a UK based company take over is better for a game like that because, for instance, like whenever I've traveled or or if, or people have come over here and I've talked to them, like um, if they haven't been to America before, like their whole thing is Route sixty six, right? Like. The
2: rockabilly. Yeah, I yeah. want to get on a
0: motorcycle and I want to drive across Route 66 and see the US. And it's like this fantastical like thought in their head that you know, seeing all of the US and and you know, for those of us have driven across the US it's it's not as fantastical yeah. like, like as you're doing it. And so um yeah, I really like this kind of idea that the it's almost um it's kind of like castles for us We're like we don't have castles here so like yeah. knights and yeah. castles and super cool yeah, yeah and like <laughs> we dream of dragons and all that you know so it's it's very interesting to me um, and and I'm excited about you know th- those kind of like cultural almost like uh, uh, views of, of something.
1: yeah yeah absolutely well it's like it's like science fiction isn't it it's yeah. um, you know anything that that's removed far enough from the norm is fantastical and inspires you to you know to dream about these amazing adventures that you can have in a place that is is just so different to what you're used to and your own reality Um, and essentially this is you know this is largely no different from science fiction or fantasy uh in that respect because it, it is so different you know um and what we've done is, you know, we've created this world that kind of exists outside of our history. It's, it's actually a completely different timeline to ours. Mm-hmm. You, know, our, you know, our grant is a DCS grant, uh, as an example. So it's, um, it's, it's very, very different. The, the technology is very, very different. There's, uh, you know, power sources that enable these amazing weapons of destruction to exist. And it, uh, you know, it, it then leads you to to create a world that is easier to explain all these conflicts because it's a war game essentially cool. at the end yeah, of the day, yeah. and you're telling stories about conflict. So, um, you know, you you have to engage, you have to find a catalyst for that, and you know, in a in an environment like the Wild West where you have this lawless, um, kind of almost um, dystopian society that uh, exists, you know, way outside of anything that you know, we would normally uh, encounter means that you can do that really easily. And then you add zombies and werewolves and aliens. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's amazing and you've got every, every opportunity to create these, uh, you know, these stories.
0: So let me ask this um in in the history of the back you know story of Wild West Exodus is there was it all normal and then there's like a a, a divergent uh you know uh, something that happened in the timeline that made it diverge or was is this a completely different kind of let's call it dimension right like a a separate earth
1: it is i mean there there one of the biggest changes, uh, like I was saying about with the, you know these power sources, and the one that's prevalent in Wild West Exodus is uh, RJ RJ one zero two seven or juice or you know whatever people call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially, this uh, this liquid um, that um, provides energy, and it, it and it, it's a it's a catchall MacGuffin um so it's we don't you know we don't define it we don't actually say how it works right right it's, it's all cooler that way right
2: like, so you can kind of just feel how you want it to work right like in your mind yeah, it, right, it does right. the skill it, it's a
1: skilled thing somehow it's in bullets it's you know <laughs> it, it allows artificial intelligence of a certain limit to to exist it allows uh, robotic dogs to run around with their own their own of their own volition uh, and uh, and all manner of crazy stuff so it's it, it is just a way to to kind of in, inject some uh, some level of uh, super science into the world.
0: Now from a creative perspective um, I think sometimes creatively that it's harder to... Design when you when your whole world is open right when there's no rules you can do anything sometimes It's harder to come up with ideas. So do you guys put? uh, Any sort of like world rules in place that when coming up with new characters or new Units or or new kind of like ideas that they have to operate within a certain rule base Or is it just kind of open to to whatever? uh, You can imagine
1: well, uh, it's thematic so every we 've got eight factions, and within each faction uh, each faction has a has a theme, so the union are militaristic, the lawmen are full of character and they 're almost as bad as the outlaws. Um, the outlaws are even more full of character and, and are broad, and you 've got these historical references to people that may or may not have existed in the old west um, you 've got the watchers who are who are, are aliens. Um, you've got the enlightened, who are the mad scientists, who have these zombies and robots and creations and, uh, and things that um, that allow us to go a bit crazy with, with stuff. Hmm. Uh, you've got the warrior nation, who are uh, the the Native American people or representative of of them. Uh, again, they're not they're not truly rep- representational of any p- specific tribe. They're just a, right. uh, I suppose a um, a carbon copy, if you like, of of um, that that type of culture. Um, but again, that allows us the more spiritual side of things the more um, earthy kind of spirits, mm-hmm. um, werewolves, and um, uh, other um, types of creatures that um, are the antithesis of of the enlightened, and they're all about super science, whereas the warrior nation are all about. Earth spirits and and natural phenomenon, Um, and so you know we have yes the the world is completely open and it is our own but you know we've we've imposed our own rules and so you know we we therefore have to play within those boundaries. They're quite flexible and of course they're quite large, so we've got a lot of room to roam around within each of those boundaries. But um, it means that. You know, it, it gives us that framework to build on. So, if we're thinking right, we we haven't had very much love for the Watchers lately. Let's think about something, and you know, a new posse that we can bring out within the Watchers, and we'll start toying with some ideas, and we'll just bring up some general concepts. It tends to start with a trope of some description, and oh, then sure, we'll, yeah. and there, you know, we've we've got some posse's who are. You know, tongue-in-cheek nods and homages to other kind of geek culture things that um, are pretty cool as well. So there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, And yeah, so you're right that you know, if we if we did have absolutely no no holds barred, it would be quite difficult to come up with stuff. But because we've you know we've we've created this world that we're we're playing around in. Uh, it means that we you know we do have a framework to hang stuff off
0: so a little behind the uh, curtain kind of question in development, when you were developing the game um, or or I guess it was, you know when you continue to develop the game, something that we always wonder about um, as as players and as as podcasters is. When I, when I come up with an idea, when a company comes up with an idea for a table size, so how does that kind of process work um, on your end as far as you know, two by two up to six by four? So what is, what's the process for that?
1: Well, it's, when, we're a business, so there is a... It's not just about creating a cool game. It's not like I'm creating a game for me and my friends to play.
0: There is also... Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a there are commercial decisions that need to be um, that need to be thought about when we're looking at a game because it has to be commercially viable in order for it to sell and sell well and sell well enough for us to to earn money from it and continue as a business. So as a result, one of the key things that we consider every time we make a new game or if we're You know, we're creating something within the studio uh, is making it as accessible to as many people as possible. And our core demographic, we understand to be 25 to 35 year old men who have a job and probably have a family. Therefore, they don't necessarily have the time. They have the spare money, but not the time to spend all day or an entire weekend playing a game. So one of the key things we wanted to do with Wild West Exodus and one of the things that we've done with the other games we're in kind of production with right now is, uh, is making it as easy to pick up and play as possible. So actually with Wild West Exodus, we've given a lot of freedom to table size. Uh, if people want to play on a dining room table and it's three foot by three foot, then... That's fine. You can play those types of games. And if you want to play a game that's over an hour and a half of an evening because you're limited on time, uh, then the game absolutely works at that level and works really well at that level. If you want to have a full weekend game and have tons and tons of miniatures on a a much larger table, then um, you can you can go ahead and do that as well. So. You know we we do spare a thought to trying to make it as accessible to anybody who wants to get into it um as we possibly can and make it as flexible so that um you know we we can catch as many customers as possible
0: Mm.
2: no that's pretty cool so every time i go to an event i see uh, like PAX unplugged or um, origins i see the setup for wild west And I keep going over and being really upset that nobody in my area plays it because I really (laughs) want to buy. I really want to buy it, right? I want to get into this game. Um, But I've I've done that with like Arena Rex was one of the games I bought into. Then nobody just in my area wanted to get into, so I have these two Arena Rex armies just kind of sitting on a shelf. Um, But I keep walking by, and let's say I was to just bite the bullet, and uh, you know I'm going to buy two armies. to bring play and I'm going to try to, you know, uh, beat the drum to get people into this game. Um, what, what, like, uh, let's say we're just doing like a normal, um, I don't say normal, normal is kind of a broad term, a, uh, let's say we're doing like an, uh, for your time frame, like, let's say like an hour and a half game, um, yep. about how many miniatures in each side would, uh, what am I about expecting per army?
1: Uh, you, well, we sorry, created... it's
2: a bold question. I don't mean to just uh, yeah, no, no, no,
1: no. It's, perfect. it's a perfect question, and it's something that you know we've thought a lot about. And actually, the, the way we release our products are in posse boxes, and not only are those posse boxes thematic in nature and create and, and contain um, you know, a usable force that you can play right out the box, but they you know, that's the game that plays in an hour and a half. Okay. And that's the spot. So you know, you, you go and spend. I think it's about forty dollars on a on a posse box. Forty four dollars, it might be. Um, and you've got yourself uh, you've got yourself a, an army. That's that's all you need to start the game.
2: Oh wow! And that's actually super reasonable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, some ten sided dice, the rule book, which is free online. All the cards are free online. Um, so actually, you, you don't have to go and buy the Gubbing set. But in there, you've got a You've got a physical rule book, you've got tokens, you've got the cards that you, you need to play the game. That is the one thing you have, which are the, the action and adventure decks. Um, and then you can, you know, you're, you, that's it. You, you're playing the game.
2: Oh, that's pretty awesome. I, like I said, I keep walking by. And uh, so do you guys do like a um, uh, like an uh, OP structure?
1: Yes, we've got uh we, there are two, the format uh, comes in two flavors. The first one is the Gunslinger Slow Grow League where you start off with a posse box and then every week you add something to that posse until you've got a tournament-ready list. So oh, after cool. six weeks, you then build yourself up to a, a 1,200-point tournament list and then you, your store or your club will then do a tournament day where you, you, know, you play three or four different games at a tournament level um, throughout the day or over the weekend, depending on how many players you've got and that's uh yeah and that and that's that's the the second flavor of it is just that that tournament day
0: so if if i'm a new player what uh what do you recommend like what should be the first thing i get
1: uh well again there are two ways to get into it the first way we've got a a two-player starter set called uh gunfight at red oak you get jesse james versus wide up um, you have got Frank James in there, doc Holiday, some robot dogs, a jet bike and a regular bike with some some heavy cannons on it and um, that's enough for two people to play a game right out of that box and that again is44 dollars so' it's, uh, it's a real easy way for people who are on the fence to go look that's you know 20, 20 odd bucks each and we' yeah that's
2: not bad yeah
1: we're playing the game you get a rule book in there, you get the cards, you get the dice, the templates, the tokens, absolutely everything. And you can give it a go. And if you like it, you can then go and buy yourself. You choose a faction that you like, um, buy yourself a posse and you build on it from there. Uh, So the other other way, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the other way is if you know what faction you want to get into and you go, right. Yep. Instantly the union army, that's for me. You you can buy us uh, a posse set with with grunts and a bunch of characters in, and you can you can just start playing with that posse, and then you can add. Um, we've got a unit type that are that are called hired hands or hand units, and they are they're your nameless characters, they're your, your grunts for want of a better word, your cannon fodder, um, and you can you can build on your posse with those. You can add some vehicles. You can add. A different posse and mix and match those characters and before you know it you've you know you've got two or three factions and um not enough time to paint them all oh, geez, dude, for <laughs> real actually <laughs> you know I, I
2: jumped on the website to take a look at the uh, starter box and i saw roosevelt on a raptor and uh i am intrigued
1: <laughs> so uh, he's uh, he's our promo miniature for this year and he's um uh, we've got a game called Lost World Exodus, which is the sister game to Wild West Exodus and is set in the lost world in the middle of Antarctica, um, where you've got, you know, tropical paradise with um, megafauna, megaflora, dinosaurs, all sorts of stuff going on. And, all, you know, all the factions from the dystopian age have converged on this, 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 um, this haven of natural resources and alien technology, and are fighting over the picking over the bones of it all. So, it's um, yeah, that's that's uh, same same system effectively as Wild West Exodus, but um, you've got all the um, factions from the dystopian age.
2: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, actually, so, having that kind of bright. So one of my biggest complaints about wargaming in general is most tables are built to be kind of grimdark and it'd be really like that setting to have like a bright, like you like floor and fauna and like bright, like the table actually looks yeah. like inviting, you know, for a change. <laughs> so just like a destroyed city uh, would yep. be actually a lot of fun to play on.
1: You're, you know, you can, you can absolutely let your imagination go wild. You can have enormous mushrooms and huge trees and, and you know, rocky outcrops and bits of, You know, rough desert area. You know, you can you can have whatever whatever terrain you want, and uh, um, yeah, it's going to be really fun creating that when we um, when we get that out.
0: Yeah, I I really like too that uh, as part of kind of the whole thing that you guys not just do the minis in the game, but you also have the terrain that people could buy if they wanted to. You know uh work within your world and and just have something easy to set up versus setting up their own um, how How does that play into when you're de- when you're designing this stuff? Is it something that you kind of want to do in parallel with with the minis in the game, or is it something that it was like, well, we want to provide terrain that's within the world in case people don't want to go make their own or something like that
1: yeah again it's all about, it's about accessibility, and one of the problems with buildings in wild west exodus is the fact that uh, you know wild west exodus is uh, 35 millimeter game so any um any wild west scenery you buy is typically going to be 25 mil and probably a a true 25 mil as well so the doors are going to look you know come onto people's chests rather than (laughs) than over their heads so um so it, it you know it one of the things we we realised was it was quite difficult to buy terrain that looked really good for Wild West Exodus. Mm. There's also the fact that it, you know, it, you've got this steampunk feel to it, and none of that's represented in any of the, you know, the historical sets that are out there. So we we decided that we would bring out our range of um, Wild West Exodus terrain that was in the right the right scale, but had the look and feel of this kind of dystopian um wild west setting that um that that brings the game to life rather than just it being something that oh this will do for the table today guys um mm. actually you you've got a whole town that you can set up and you can do part of a town and play a game on the outskirts and just use the buildings as the edge of uh of the the um the playing table uh the gaming table and and you can have rocks and cacti and um you know gullies and gulches and all sorts of stuff um sure to obscure your troops and um and give your your characters cover on the table um but again you know when we've done some filming before you know we've um we've explored because in in the west um there's all it's not just desert they're all different types of terrain Mm -hmm. Um, and all different types of weather as well so we've had we've had snowfield battles um, you know we've had um, battles on rolling plains and grassland Um, you know we've got uh, the like I said red oak which is the the kind of make-believe town we've created for the range of of terrain that we've put out but it means that you know we've made it very accessible and very affordable um, without really losing the detail so it's it's actually quite easy for somebody to get the whole town of Red Oak, and we've also just released Rio Sonora, which is um, kind of the New Mexico version. Not, not that New Mexico exists in the dystopian age, but um, the the Sonora, which is the the region that that um, would be New Mexico, um, is set in. So you've got Adobe buildings. Um, and uh, that type of, of look and feel of, of, uh, of, a, of a very different town so that you've got different tables you can play on because it can, be quite, it can be quite dull if you're playing at home with the same people to just play on the same board all the time. You need to mix it right. yeah. you know, up a bit. <laughs> and, you know, Especially if you're playing with different factions or you're playing with different posses, you want to, to generate that feel that every time you're playing, it is a different game. Um, and so having a variety of terrain uh, makes that, really does make a difference.
0: So another question I had, do you, you know I think this happens with everything in the world but um, specifically with gaming, so do you guys see um, kind of like a a roller coaster, like a rise with in purchases when something like Red Dead Redemption 2 comes out? Or you know if there's a movie or some sort of cultural phenomenon that brings us back to the wild west do you guys see the result of that or or in general is your base pretty set and and it's kind of dependent on word of mouth and, and stores and stuff
1: i mean it, the the wargaming industry is pretty pretty niche mm-hmm. um you know it is in its own bubble so it it doesn't tend to pick up on the mainstream trends as much as other things do. Um, so the, I suppose the, the answer is, I don't think so. Um, yeah, But um, actually, we, you know, it's not something that we necessarily track the metrics on. <laughs> right, uh, right. That's
2: right. Fair. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, because when I watch, um, like my father loves Westerns and that's actually what drove me to look at this game. So I got into like, uh, first miniature game I got into was, uh war machine way back and then it was X Wing and then Legion and then I go to all these events. I didn't realize how many war games existed because my little town <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. it was like that was the three games you played. Uh and then I walked over and I saw uh I was watching like over someone's shoulder a uh, demo and it was um they're having a shootout. And I don't remember the models. I think it was Billy the Kid and Earp, I think. Uh, but I'm, you know, they said a couple of those buzzword names that I really wanted to hear. So I'm like, well, what do we got going on? They had the buildings and everything, and I'm like, oh, yo. So I, uh, again, I, because I, ah, I'd just been burned on Rex, so I, I didn't jump in. But I was, man, it was close because uh, I thought Romans would be big, but not, no one cared around here. But <laughs> uh, uh, it turns out a couple of the guys have like Wild West armies in the, I mean, the Wild West Exodus armies in the area from different events, and they just don't talk about it so i was like well maybe i can uh you know weasel my way in with some am uh, making a nice table and try to get some people in so, but uh it's just a really cool like every time i see it, i just get more more of the models cool. i look at here i'm getting more invested in uh on making something with this
0: yeah so that's yeah. an interesting question right for uh for for you guys is how do you in like different areas who may you know i think it's all dependent on stores or if i've been or if the local. Crew has been to a to a show or not and seen this. So how do you guys really deal with that and think about from a marketing perspective getting the game um, and and knowledge of the game out? You know, besides stuff like this.
1: So it's it's all about community. That's the that's the, the buzzword really for for getting a game played. Is building communities. So we have uh, volunteers called war hosts. And they, they are champions. They're the guys who love the game to bits and live, sleep, eat, breathe Wild West Exodus. And they, um, you know, they're running events in stores. They um, they do tournaments. They come to shows with us. Um, they, you know, they they shout it from the rooftops on social media. And they're the guys who um, who who tends to have a, a bit of a following in the local store or club or community that they're in and whatever they play, everybody plays, you know, they, they, they draw people along with them. So, you know, they're the guys that we, you know, we give them all the tools they need to, to, to play the game and to, to get it played within, you know, mainly stores and clubs. And if you can build that, then you you know you that's your customer base set up. Um, it's more difficult in places where you don't have those clubs or you don't have a store um, because then you're relying on a group of friends who have somewhere to play. Um, typically, one of the houses and they always play host and they're the one with the terrain and the table and room in the garage and um, you know uh, you go around there every week and you you have a game and usually. It's difficult to then reach those people specifically, apart from things like this and social media and, and, and the shows. And that's why the shows are really big for us, because it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to introduce Wild West Exodus. As you were saying about, you know, you didn't know it existed, you walked past it and you saw some stuff you liked and you draw people in. And you give them a demo, and you show them how you know how much fun it is. And one of the key things for me that I love about Wild West Exodus is it is an exciting game to play. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, of stuff that can happen that just you just don't foresee. There's um, card play with the action and adventure decks that you can't foresee. It's not just about a lucky dice roll, although that does come into it, um, but it is it is a roller coaster ride and once people see that on the table and they experience it um, they tend to you know jump right in which is great.
0: You know so <clears throat> before uh, the cast Evan and I were talking a little bit about how this is kind of right now we're, we're living the golden age of, of board gaming and so I, from, from a developer's perspective it how how is uh, how is that kind of because I, I feel like that could be both positive and negative, right? It's positive because oh, you have more people than ever playing tabletop gaming, but at the same time, you have more games than ever. So, as a developer, how do you think about that for the future releases and how it's going to entice people to choose your game?
1: Yeah, it's a difficult one to measure because you know it's what we're producing are are effectively luxury items people don't need toy soldiers um they well they, some they people. <laughs> uh, but you, you know you don't need them they're not a necessity to survive right and yes, so you're right there is a there is a finite pool of of um extra cash for our cust. that our customers have that they're going to spend on games uh, but yeah you are right that We are living in a time where there are it's so much more acceptable to play these types of games. And therefore that that's another routine for for players, somebody who's introduced to board games at a friend's house and then suddenly has a board game collection and then they go to a show and then they see that, you know, there are other different types of games out there. And that's their first experience of a tabletop miniatures game and they love it and they're quite artistic and they realize they've got a flair for painting miniatures. And before you know it, their, you know, their spare room has been converted into <laughs> a painting studio and they've got drawers and drawers of unpainted miniatures. Um, and, you know, that's that's a great way of getting people into the game um, but, yeah, you know, there, there is a finite amount of money that people are going to spend on a game. And and one of the things that, you know, we, you know we, we've we got a number of different games that we're bringing out. We've got a, a naval game called Dystopian Wars, which is set in the same universe, but is a game about um, enormous battleships fighting it out on the high seas with submarines and airships. and. It's set in the same time as Wild West Exodus. You've got this weird super science and crazy technology going on that mm. would have occurred then, but you have this style that's anachronistic and really cool and gets people involved. So um, that's another way, a bit of diversity. Um, we, we've actually got a board game um, in development um, as well, which is Bill and Ted's Riff in Time. Which <laughs> oh, is, fantastic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, earmarks were coming out later this year so it's great to be able to work on that type of thing as well um, I'd say it was it was excellent in fact <laughs> um, I thought I thought that's
0: what Evan was going to say but he said fantastic and I was slightly disappointed <laughs> yeah, yeah. that we didn't get that in
2: sorry right, I just got excited
0: so along those lines uh, we found uh, when we talk to people um, and kind of combining the two thoughts there is that uh, sometimes we'll get gamers that have never ever ever touched a game besides monopoly and then they'll start playing a game because of the theme alone like star wars is a big is a big pull for that right and i i feel like with a wild west or or you know this this new game the new naval game with airships and stuff that sounds super cool that theme kind of drives could drive a non-gamer into becoming a gamer just that on that alone so how how does that affect um you know where you guys go with your next games you know you have bill and ted that i i have a feeling that's going to pull some people in you know and and i feel like wild west exodus has got to pull people in that have never played games before and they're like wait a minute i can do a wild west war game like yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean uh to be honest it's um something that's kind of happened organically with us um okay um, so it's not something that we've really thought too much about. Um, <laughs> so like, you know, this the Wild West Exodus thing kind of happened. And then there's a company over here called uh, Spartan Games, who, um, who made Dystopian Wars and another sci-fi battleship game called Firestorm Armada, a space combat game called Firestorm Armada. Um, and they went into administration and we picked up those IPs as well. So, mm. um, so actually, we, you know, so far we've kind of been picking up things um, rather than going right. Let's have a look at the market and see, you know, where yeah. there's a gap. We've not actually got to that point where we have to do that yet. So, it's not really a question I can answer. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: no, I, I guess it's it's good to be
1: lucky, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, passion has a lot to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, good, yeah. Good to make a game that you're not passionate about right so uh, a lot of it comes from inside and uh, therefore i suppose if we were to be looking at doing a brand new game we would probably have a big brainstorm session and we'd come up you know we'd throw some ideas out there and we would probably naturally tend towards something that we all got excited about rather than anything else and when you're excited about something you make you make really cool stuff um yeah you know as a uh you know if you're running a game or if you're running a, a role-playing game for example and you're writing your own campaign you know you've got to be excited about what you're writing about and you will take your characters along for the, ra- the ride because your excitement will draw them into the story and it's the same for this game when people come to see us at the shows we're so excited about Wild West Exodus because you know we think the game's great that that enthusiasm is infectious and it draws people along and go, this is great. Whereas if you see an advertisement in a, in a wargaming magazine, you might go, well, oh, yeah, that looks interesting. It's <laughs> it cowboys, it's steampunk. Well, yeah, that's cool. But you might not think twice about it. So so uh, sometimes it's just about having that, um, that passion and that passion drives um, your inventiveness and um and that shows in the game. It absolutely does I think.
0: Yeah.
2: I agree. I know like every time I go to uh I can tell when uh when I go to a to go when I go to Pax Unplugged or any of these the origins or anywhere I always stop at I I like demos because I like to see what's out there and I can tell like I can feel if they really care about it. Like if this <laughs> is their thing or they're just like going through the motion. I get if it's like last last demo of the day guys burned down. like hey man I worked retail forever I get it but like, I can always feel it right so I can feel like um like when I was watching that demo for your game actually I was like I was a third party and I was getting pulled in right yeah. I I guess was so long ago I don't remember names or anything but I remember the guy just being really excited about the game. I'm like well I'm excited now too right <laughs> like uh uh so it's yep. you know it's it's always good to see that with a company actually like really cares about the product.
0: Yeah. but uh All right. Well, I I mean, I think that kind of wraps it up for us. Chris, do you have anything else you want to share or tell us about?
1: No, I mean, you know, that's, that's really what I would say. If somebody was interested in, in getting into Wild West Exodus, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, check out your local store, um, have a chat with, with the guys down there, see if anyone's playing it. Um, If there's a war host around, they'll, they'll be happy to run demos for people. Um, If, If you've got no one else in your area, have a look at being a war host. You know, if you want to get a couple of uh, factions and, you know, start getting people to play it, then there are things that we can do to help and support that. You can have a war host t-shirt and, you know, um, you can uh, can come to some events with us, that type of thing. So um, at the moment, obviously, with this this crazy situation we find ourselves (laughs) in, we've missed out on a number of... uh, a number of shows this year, which, um, which is a real shame because you know, they're real big things for us. Um, and I love coming to the States and I love visiting, um, uh, Chicago for Adepticon and Indianapolis for Gen Con and, um, Philadelphia for Pax Unplugged and all these, all these, um, these great places and meeting everybody. And there are some really amazing people in this industry. So, um, it's it's a real shame not to be able to go out there and 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 do that and introduce people to the games but uh but yeah you know find find people that are playing it they're out there um yeah <laughs> uh, that we've got the dark council which is uh a facebook group and that's um that's actually really um really busy with people posting their painted miniatures talking about the game asking questions Finding loopholes in the rules that I have to scratch my head around uh, <laughs> for several hours and have arguments. Yeah. And then over. create
0: your <laughs> errata. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's like, damn, why did I not think of that? Um, <laughs> so, uh, but it's difficult. It, it, and that's a really interesting thing about game design and development for me is people will interpret things in all manner of different ways. And you can never, it's impossible to write a um, watertight set of rules because yeah. interpretation is a big part of what makes us human. You know, we, we don't, It's not like a mathematical formula. When you're using words to describe how a rule works, those words are entirely up for uh, interpretation. So
2: yeah.
1: people, two different people can read the same paragraph and come up with completely different interpretations mm. of that rule. And there is absolutely no way to stop that. You, it just it's impossible, you know Games workshop, for example, have been making rules for thirty years thirty odd years now, so uh, in fact, nearly forty years so um, and they can't do it right. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what, what chance is there for the rest of us um, you know and even in board games where you have a very um, a very uh, defined area to play in. You know, you have a a framework of rules that, you know, don't have the type of interpretation that you get in a war game where you have Mm. 300 different units that have different interactions. Uh, You still get interpretations on rules that people aren't absolutely sure on, and you have to go back to the rule book and check it. But we try and make our games as intuitive as possible um, with as as few rules in the rule book as we can manage and try and make the fun about how you how you play the game um rather than you know about how many rules there are so oh,
2: sure
1: yeah, you know and that's one of the key things is trying to make it easy for people to pick up um but deep enough for people to to keep their attention that's yeah. the eternal struggle <laughs>
0: yeah for sure well yeah. uh thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it yeah, this definitely.
1: was great my pleasure you know anytime you know if you you know, if, we, if you wanted to, you know, do a, a bit more of a focus on some of the factions and do some yeah. more in depth, actually, numbers, yeah. I'm more than happy to do some more.
0: Awesome. Know. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: No worries, guys. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. You too. Thanks.
1: Cheers. Bye. Join us next week for another edition of the Fifth Trooper Podcast. This has
0: been a Fifth Trooper production.